2FM. Sponsored by Dove Men Plus Care. Upgrade to Dove Men Advanced Deodorant and Body Wash. Let the confidence last. Game on. Weeknights from 6. On 2FM. Big thanks to Andrew and Afric. It's Wednesday the 3rd of January and you're listening to Game On. Coming up today, it's Humphreys versus Littler in the Battle of the Leaks as World Arts Glory awaits. Mick Lennon will preview tonight's big final. In soccer, Paul Curry and Mark Langdon talk Sancho to Dortmund. How much the Birmingham vacancy affects the Irish vacancy and what clubs will be most affected by AFCON. Plus in Gaelic Games, we're live to the Mechanic Cup as Mickey Hart and Jim McGuinness return, return to the inter-county sidelines. If you want to get in touch, you can text us on 51552 or you can find us on X at GameOn2FM or you can WhatsApp us on 087 187 9200. On 2FM. Now, Paul Curry is with me in studio. Paul, are you a darts fan? I absolutely am. Who isn't? Ah, who isn't? <laughs> I can't get that song out of my head as well. <laughs> Africa just played it before we came on air. And yeah, she, this guy, Luke Littler, he's really captured everyone's imagination. It's actually kind of hard to get away from him, really, because everywhere you turn, every time you turn on uh, the Sky Sports News or pick up the paper, he's there. And deservingly so. Were you, when you were 16, were you... Oh. Were you overseas at that stage, plying your football trade? I'd say I was in transition year. Probably doing a cookery class somewhere. <laughs> it's unbelievable, isn't it, what he's yeah. doing? I mean, to go on in the early rounds and, and watch him win his, his first round match and then his second round match, and you, you think about how far can this kid go? And he just got, he got better with each round that he went through. And last night against Rob Cross, he was just absolutely superb. I think he's going to go all the way. Okay, well, we're going to get the expert view from Mick Lennon in just a minute. But look, Luke Littler, he's been the biggest story in sport over the last few weeks. And now he's just one win away from completing, arguably, the greatest story in the history of darts. He takes on Luke Humphreys a little bit later. And last night, he beat Rob Cross in the semi-final. Darren Farrell put this reflection together on Morning Ireland this morning. Let's hear it. Nerves have to play a part at some point, surely. I'll just walk over every line like it's nothing. This is a big to do. This is a big deal. October 20 here will leave a fitting finish on double 10. And he finishes it on double 10. Luke Littler by name, but right now, arguably the biggest name in world darts. Littler takes the giant step into the World Championship final. 19 days. Shy of his 17th birthday. It's a sensational story. He's a 16 year old sensation, and tomorrow he could be the world darts champion. No words. <laughs> You're just as speechless as us. It's crazy. Crazy to even think. I'm at my world championship final on my debut. I was happy winning one game, but I could, go, I could nearly go all the way. You're playing Rob, he's, he's a world champion. He won on debut, same as me. And yeah, I've got no words. <laughs> but when you came here, what, what was the objective? What did you think you could achieve? Just win my first round game. It's... I've just I've settled on that stage. It takes me takes myself a few legs to settle into a game. And once I find that rhythm, then I'm good. I'm good, I'm good to go. Now, another brilliant night in the darts and uh, Super 1 awaits to look ahead and to look back on last night's action. Mick Glennon joins us now. How excited are you, Mick? Yeah, quite excited now. We're just um, probably an hour and a half from 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 game on uh, at the Palace. So yeah, really excited um, as we come to the conclusion of another brilliant World Championship. I mean, you kind of think it can't get better than the year before, and it always kind of builds up. But I'll give you some numbers anyway to start off, Marie. Go for it. Um, there have been fifty-two thousand four hundred and seventy-six darts thrown 
in the tournament so far. 1,625,860 points scored. 132 bounce outs. That's when the, the, the dart obviously doesn't yeah. land properly. <laughs> and we're already up to 878 uh, maximums and all the need is 24 more. If the lads can produce um, 24 between them tonight, which is very doable, um, that'll be a tournament uh, record. It stands at 901 from last year, but it's on course to, to break that record. Eddie Hearn tweeted as well about the viewership, Mick. He said that the record yeah. was for darts 1.65 million. It is, of course, on pay-per-view. And that was for Taylor yeah. Anderson in 2015. Then last night, Littler Cross smashed the record with 2.32 million of an audience. Bigger than the Ashes, bigger than the Ryder Cup. And he's hoping for 3 million tonight for the final. So pretty impressive figures there as well. Plus, plus what he left out was that it was on Liveline. So once the darts makes Liveline, you know, you know it's made, <laughs> and it's what was gone the, mainstream. What was the issue on Liveline or was it just adulation oh, for the 16-year-old? It, it, was, it was partly that and it was Katie Sheldon was on the, the Republic of Ireland player. No, it was covering the basics because it okay. went down to the roots of what's, what darts about, where is it played and why is it so popular <laughs> and uh, what's the scene like in Ireland. Yeah, it was... Brilliant, okay. Well, I might listen back to that and uh, get a bit of info on that because it's like Wimbledon. It's that time of year where you don't have any interest for 11 and a half months and then all of a sudden um, these World Championships happen and you're straight in, the dartboard comes out from underneath the stairs and everyone thinks they're an expert. But look... As you said, Mick, there's a great story every year and Luke Littler is that great story. Last We had you on yesterday looking ahead to, to last night's semi-final against Rob Cross. We knew it was going to be a big test. You couldn't really call it. Um, he, you know, it, it didn't. we didn't have it all his own way, but it was another really good performance from the 16-year-old. Yeah, very comfortable. I, I, thought, I thought maybe uh, Rob Cross would get a little bit closer, but he and he had his chances. It was one of those games against Luke Littler that if you if you get your chances, you have to take them because he doesn't show any mercy. And as we were saying last night, he 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 tr- he's really at ease on the stage, and he's no nerves or no panic as well. So it ended up six three, um, another one hundred and six average coming into a semi final or play coming into a final. Really, really good. Three of three of Luke's averages in the tournament so far have been in the top 10 of averages in this tournament. So he's really at an incredible standard, especially for a debutant. Um, and he was good value for that 6-2 win last night. Rob Cross could probably see it coming from a while out. Where does the the composure and the calmness come from, Mick? Is it because he's came through the academy setup or is it just his personality? Um, do you know what? It's again. He's he's kind of new to this big TV stage. He's played a lot of academy stuff and on with WDF. He's won the World Youth Championship. I guess that maybe there wasn't much media attention on him before, and he's just doing what he loves. He's so passionate about. Like maybe if you look at some of the other players on on the tour, it eventually becomes a job, and it eventually becomes a job that you can get stressed out over. Because if you're just on the cut mark for the season, you you, you need to be earning money at all the events and none of that would apply to him because he's obviously just come up through the development tour um, and the WWF system and now all, all of a sudden he's on life-changing money so I think that's part of it that he doesn't there's no expectation or pressure on him at all Yeah he's just handling it all so well um, Will it be a different test for him tonight do you think or will it just be more the same Luke Humphreys? Okay, well, if anybody is going to be able to put it up to him, it will be Luke Humphreys. He averaged 108 last night, and that's the highest of the tournament so far. And in fact, only 
Phil Taylor and Van Gerwen have ever been higher in a match in the World Championship. So, Luke, you probably saw it last night. He absolutely demolished um, Scott Williams. Never gave him a, never gave him a shot. And the way he was playing, like 108 uh, average, is just incredible. That's more like the Luke we'd seen over the last. Uh, he won three of the last four majors coming into this, and that was kind of up to his standard. Um, and again, there's there's little, there's not much they can improve on tonight. Like last night, 106 for Luke Littler, 108 for uh, Humphreys. It just sets it up really well for a classic. They both have 50 maximums each for the tournament. Um, and although Luke Littler has played a match more, um, that means that Luke is just slightly more efficient on the maximums, getting them uh, more often. And uh, just on Luke Humphreys, it seems like he's really improved over the last while. You mentioned he's won three out of the last four majors three out of the last four television events as well so he's really comfortable it seems in that that kind of high pressure environment yeah now he was a kind of a star coming up as a youngster as well he won the the world youth championship as well and then people said there there is world championships in his future but nobody really saw the consistency um there because we were talking before the start of the tournament that most open in years because of multiple major winners, multiple world championship winners. But Luke was able to concentrate. He, he won his first um, major, which was the the Grand Slam. Quickly followed that up uh, with a Grand with a Grand Prix. Sorry, I have that mixed up. Grand Slam, then a Grand Prix, and then a Players Final just at the start of the end of November. So it was incredible for one man to to, to put to win three out of four majors and. You know, he just looked so comfortable doing it. And again, last night in the semi-final, it just looked as if he couldn't be beaten. And it's a, all the metrics, actually. Luke Littler has slightly better of the metrics, but the way Luke is coming... I guess there's a lot of things in darts you can measure, checkouts and averages and all that. And then there's the stuff that we actually can't put our finger on. You can't calculate Luke's experience, Luke Humphrey's mm-hmm. experience on the stage, and how conversely that will affect Luke Littler. It mightn't affect him at all, but there's these little tiny percentages at the top end. And just even the sets conceded, so Littler only conceded six sets in this championship, and Humphrey's has only conceded seven. So two of them will be full, filled with confidence just even from that stat alone. Yeah, absolutely. And we, even Luke, so Luke was never really pushed. So they all came. Luke Littler's, okay, have you had, uh, I know, yeah. Luke, Luke Littler's, um, they, they were just kind of 4 1 or, you know, a second set la- like last night. He was never pushed, whereas Luke was pushed twice. Luke, Luke Humphreys was pushed mm-hmm. twice. So he, the, when he conceded, obviously he didn't concede last night, but there was a, there was a 3 2 or a 4 3 match and a, and a 5 4 match. Uh, in his run so um, I wonder maybe a little that would tell you maybe he's more battle sharpened as well Luke Humphreys that um, he, he has that real recent experience of coming through close games Yeah he seemed fairly confident as well and look I suppose to use the sports cliche is he waiting in the long grass Mick? Um, I don't know because it usually you'd be, you wouldn't be giving guys like like Joe Cullen had matched darts against him Um he could be waiting to spoil a, spoil a bit of a fairy tale. Yeah. Uh, oh, I think we might have lost Mick when we just started talking about fairy tales. No, sorry, no, oh, I'm still back, here. No, back. no, it's, <laughs> no, it's it's more that like obviously the, the narrative is that Luke Littler will come through age sixteen, win it on debut, like Rob Cross mm. did, like Keith Deller did many years ago. Um, but Luke, Lucas, I was just checking it up there. Lucas still the the bookmaker's favorite. Uh, Luke Humphreys is still the book bookmaker's favorite for this match. And it just, look, I guess it's probably an obvious question, but 
Is the pressure going to be different because it's a final or is it the same that's been this whole way through, do you think, the pressure that's going to be on uh, young Luke? Um, no, it's hard to say. I, I just don't think he deals with pressure or I, I don't think he, he realises what it is because basically he's set up now he'll get the £200,000 for for runner-up tonight if he does that and it's all a bonus but you can do you know what the rest of the darts field is kind of terrified because Phil Taylor came on and he dominated then it looked like Michael Van Gerwen would dominate then for the last few years there were so many players who were picking up world championships and majors it looked like nobody would dominate and that would kind of suit you know the rest of the field 10 or 15 guys that could win a world championship but now the way Luke Littler is is playing, he could go on to dominate, and it wouldn't be a stretch if he if he just stays doing what he's doing, which would be quite difficult. There'll be so much media attention on him now, but if he just keeps his head on, and is advised well and managed well, he will he could easily dominate the sport, and that's something that this time last year I was saying nobody's going to dominate for the next five or ten years. Yeah, he does seem to have the mentality, all right, just even when you think of the interviews that he does afterwards, he doesn't seem to be in any way phased by being in the, under the spotlight and is well able to answer whatever questions are thrown at him. But in terms of, I guess, external management as well, he's still only 16 and the CEO of the PDC was on uh, TV today just talking about him and was very much um, adamant that they to point out that he's only 16 that there's still a huge duty of care to to him because you know he's he's essentially a child and, and has to be looked after and it's, it's kind of almost hard to to marry that because he, his appearance tells a different story but I, I did love um, make the picture that his mom put up on Christmas Day he was sitting in front of the Christmas tree and, and she tweeted you know he, he's still a 16 year old opening his presents on Christmas yeah. morning and then it actually really hit me that that's the age that he is it's amazing yeah, no, I saw that. And even like just talk what'll happen now after I don't know if it'll be announced tonight. They used to announce the Premier League lineup mm. um on the night of the World Championships, but recently then they've been delaying that as well. There's talk about him playing in the Premier League. He wants to do it. It'd just be quite a grueling schedule. At the start of this tournament or after he won his first match against Christian Kist, he said he had his, his plan laid out for the year between development tours and pro tour events. Um I don't think he's going to be eligible for the yeah, not, development. Yeah tour anymore um, and then it depends like the Premier League would be quite a grueling schedule for a young man it's it's midweek and all that and I don't know whether it would suit him he would love to do it and it's it, it, it's it brings in a lot of income as well yeah. so you know he's going to be fully pro um, so maybe he wants to do that um, I'm sure he does actually who who, who, who else would want to be playing yeah. arts for a living and I'd say as well like he would sell tickets so they'd want him to do it too yes exactly we'll all be lying now even the Ireland one sold is it? They're playing twice in Ireland um, in March in Belfast and Dublin. They're both sold out. I checked it a month ago. They were both oh, sold no out. Oh, no way. So it, it, does, it does go well, yeah. Okay, brilliant. Um, okay, so give us a, give us your prediction. Okay, well, can I just say, like, <laughs> I think Luke will win it. Is that, is that, can I get away with that? Perfect, perfect. <laughs> no, listen, I did. I did. You can check back when, when I was on with Shane at start. I did. Uh, go for Humphreys which you know wasn't a, a huge stretch so I'm going to stay with uh, Luke Humphreys and I'm just really looking forward to a classic um, it's either a fairy tale that Luke Littler comes through and wins it it's going to be if if Humphreys win it he'll be pushed to the end 
and it's going to be a classic. And Marie, just then when you were saying about Christmas coming around or the darts coming around like Wimbledon, mm. don't forget we've a lot of new darts followers on now and darts oh, is for life, not just Christmas. <laughs> right, we'll have to get you in our regular slot so on, on the programme. Um, every few weeks we'll be on talking about the darts. We're all on the bandwagon now. We're not getting <laughs> off, Mick, so uh, That's what I like shove over. Uh, right, enjoy tonight. Uh, looking forward to it as well. And as you said, uh, we should get a classic. Well, we hope we do. Anyway, um, Mick Glennon of RT Sport. Thanks as always for your expert views and opinions stay with us we're going to take a very quick break Paul Corey is in studio to talk football and we'll also be joined by Mark Langdon Game On on 2FM Welcome back. Paul Corey is still with me in studio. Mark Langdon of the Racing Post joins us on the line. We're going to turn our attention to football. It's been a busy few weeks in the Premier League and uh, now it's starting to heat up on the transfer front. First of all, Mark, did you have a good Christmas? Oh, I did, thanks, Marie. Yeah, it was was, uh, more hectic than I would have liked, but... um... You know, I, I sort of envy all those people that seem to sit around on the, you know, just watching TV for a week. Uh, the family had me doing all, all sorts. But uh, no, no, it was, it was very good. Thank you. And um, hope, uh, happy New Year to, to you um, as well. Hope, it sounds you like you've got time. a list of jobs. I hate that. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. It's, a, it's such a... Um, it's such a funny time in the Premier League because even from a, I do a predictions every week and or every game week and I just seem to absolutely um, fail. I crash and burn in at this time. There's just too many games. I can't, I can't get a, a, I can't get on top of it. And I'm so happy when this period is over. But even from the the teams market, such a tricky time to navigate, isn't it? And you can see that we're heading into Christmas and you think you might have a bit of a title race and then you're coming out the other side of it and and you're thinking, you know, with a few teams involved, that really is it just Liverpool? Man- cities now yeah i mean it, it's such a, a bad time to to lose form you know arsenal um would have gone into christmas really feeling quite confident and, and comfortable with with where they were and how they were playing and you know the, the gears that they sort of had in re, you know, were able to to step it up and then all of a sudden you know you get two bad results against west ham and fulham and you know, people are already sort of ruling them out of the, the title <laughs> yeah. race. And somebody like um, I watched Everton um, at Tottenham on I'm trying to think of the days now. Was it um, sort of the, the, just before Christmas? I think it was the twenty third. And I thought Everton played really well. Um, and then they, they they put up a decent performance against Man City, and then had nothing in the tank. I mean, they were awful at Molyneux and were, were brushed aside very very comfortably. And I, I think that teams are um, you know feeling the pinch at, at this stage of the season and um, because of that you just get inconsistency in, in performance as well as results uh, I, I think it's sort of you know, natural uh, really to um, you know to not be able to play at a high standard for three four games in a kind of nine ten day period uh, I, I think you know the Premier League is out on its own really in sort of playing this many games over the uh, festive period it's great to watch um, you know but probably not great if you're a manager trying to plot um, you know team selection through it I would say It's interesting Mark says that because I thought the exact same of Newcastle the other night I know Liverpool were absolutely superb and you know the way they play they can suffocate you but I thought Newcastle were absolutely mm-hmm. out in their feet after about 60 minutes they've of course had a, a number of injuries to key personnel that have impacted their performances and results but I just think the balance of Champions League the extra fixtures they were obviously involved in the League Cup they went deep in a tie against Chelsea end up in penalties I thought they looked absolutely mm-hmm. knackered the other night and it's no surprise that they've struggled to pick up points and maybe actually exiting Europe might benefit them in the second half of the season yeah, it's a yeah, it's a. You can actually see it in the teams, really. And I didn't think that Liverpool had as much depth 
um, as they, they actually do. Mm. And it just was really telling, I think, over the last few weeks that they're able to bring players off the bench and, and still have an impact and they're not as thin as they may have seemed in previous seasons. So look, I guess it's probably a bit of a learning curve as well for uh, the different managers who maybe don't have as much experience as the likes of Klopp and, and Pep as well in those um, in those big jobs. But the transfer window is going to be interesting and you can kind of see, even though there isn't anything majorly confirmed, Mark, there's such a huge amount of speculation like every team now seems to be looking for uh, players in different positions very few very very few settled squads um, Manchester United I guess is the big one Jaden Sancho the talk is that he'll return to uh, Borussia Dortmund on loan and it seems that whatever's going on with Eric Ten Hag and, and himself it's it's irreparable and probably the the right move for him do you think? Oh yeah, I, I think so. I mean, you know, for, from Sancho's point of view, he's probably thinking I can sort of outlast Ten Hag, and you know, he, he, if I do go back in in the summer, he he won't be there, and you know, he can re, potentially rebuild his Manchester United um, career. I think for United, it makes sense. I mean, you know, if they are going to sort of keep Sancho long term, then getting him playing now is is definitely a benefit or if you sell him um, you know get him back playing like he did um, for Borussia Dortmund and um, you know you, you can get at, at least some of your money back if, if that's the way they the, the sort of route they go down from Borussia Dortmund's point of view I mean this would be a transfer that would make absolute sense um, for them if they could bring Sancho in on loan because I mean they, they received an absolute fortune for him um, you know, not that long ago, and would then potentially get the player back, uh, you know, for a small loan fee and having to cover some of his wages. I mean, for them, um, it's sort of deal of the century um, time. I think for, from Sancho's point of view, he just needs to get back to playing football and back to being happy. Um, a, a, again, obviously, there was um, some well documented off-field issues that he was um, mm -hmm. sort of dealing with that Manchester United revealed at one time. He's now had this bust up with Ten Hag and it's difficult to know what to believe, isn't it? That there's sort of, you know, Ten Hag said that he wasn't training well. Sancho said that's not true. Um, and, you know, w without being on the training ground, it's difficult um, to, to, to be able to judge who's kind of got that one wrong. But it doesn't suit Manchester United to have a player of that quality and that value sort of sitting around doing nothing. It doesn't suit Sancho um, to just be kicking his heels um, either. So, I mean, I, I think he definitely has to leave. And if it's a choice between that or the, there was a suggestion maybe sort of, you know, going to Saudi, um, I, I think going back to somewhere where he's well-liked, he knows the football, he knows the club, just makes real sense, really. He's still only 23, which is crazy to think because it feels like he's almost coming to the end of his career when really he should only just be coming to the prime of his career. But because there's been so much drama, it feels like um, there's been a lot of him around and not for a good reason. We were talking earlier, Paul, about Luke Littler and the importance of being managed right and mm. anyone that would have advised him to take to social media to have a pop at his manager, you would think that they don't have his best interests at heart. But he hasn't played in, in such a, a long time or hasn't shone in such a long time it's hard to remember how good he was like how, how much ability does this guy have oh, he was fantastic when he's at Borussia Dortmund and not just in, in the Bundesliga but also when they played in European competitions his goal contributions his goal scored was up there with you know the very best across Europe maybe not at the same sort of level as Ronaldo and Messi but that kind of tier 2 player and it was a signing that Manchester United fans had so much hope for. If you think back, I'm pretty certain it was the same window that they signed for Iran. And, you know, this was the... Um, July 2021 for £73 million. It's, it's incredible. And there was so much hope that, man, you were going to kick on from that window. 
and they were going to be the building blocks that were going to kind of bridge the gap between themselves and Man City. But if you look at it, Marine, and you take a step back, it's another example of players going on too much money. Yeah. You know, if you think back, Ozil at Arsenal, how that ended. Aubameyang at Arsenal, how that one ended. Now you've got Jaden Sancho, who's on somewhere rumoured to be in the region of 300k a week from probably the age of 22 like yeah. they, they probably gave him too much and if you're a player and you're not playing you're, you're probably sitting back and, and thinking well I, I don't really care too much like Marcus mentioned there he's probably waiting to see at the time when Ten Hag goes out the door and then he gets another opportunity but it, it feels like two years that have been wasted with, within, his, within his own career and actually when you think back to before the bust up with Ten Hag when he called him out after the Arsenal game he wasn't particularly playing well before then either so it looks as if at least from where I'm sitting that there's a real lack of sort of motivation to kick on to the next level he's probably felt like he's he's reached the pinnacle he's you know set up for life with a salary there doesn't seem to be a huge amount of want behind Sancho to kind of kick on in his own career I was watching the Brighton game last night and James Milder was interviewed afterwards so he made his 632nd uh, appearance in the Premier League so now he is the second highest appearance um, maker in Premier League history he's level with Ryan Giggs and I was listening to him being interviewed Is Gary afterwards. Speed still the top? I know I've put you on the spot You there. have totally put me on the spot uh, I'll check it while you speak you can, you Ryan can, yeah. Giggs maybe oh, Ryan, Ryan Giggs, Giggs. He's, Ryan No Giggs. he's um, he's he's oh. joined Ryan Giggs in second okay. So there has to be somebody um, I'm sure someone will text us in now um, Gareth Barry currently leads Giggs and Milner oh. Yeah by 21 uh, but he was interviewed afterwards, and he was he was asked like, "How do you how do you how did you get to where you are? Where did you get the consistency?" And like, besides being able to see how the want all over his face and how much it means to him, it was just amazing to to hear him speak and to he was saying that he spoke to every physio, every sports scientist, every coach. How could he get better? Where could he learn? Where was he able to go? Where was he going to get these inches? Do every single thing that you can so that you keep going, so that you get better, so that you make improvements, so that you learn. And it sounds so simple, but then you're looking at somebody like Sancho who doesn't seem to have any of this drive that somebody like Milner has. And I know Paul said um, money, obviously, he's, he would have been on a, a huge amount more money than Milner would have been at his age. But um, it seems fairly simple to me, <laughs> is what I'm saying, Mark. If you're a Premier League footballer, would you not just work hard and try and make the best of yourself? Yeah, I, I mean, I've, I've, I mean... You, you would assume that's the case and, and that that's what everybody should do or would do. But, I mean, I mean people are just not built the same, are mm -hmm. they? You know, there are, there, there, there are sort of, I don't know if it's character flaws or just, you know, respond to different things. I mean, Milner is obviously, you know, somebody that is very much a um, you know, self-starter and is so incredibly driven and you know these there's that kind of boring James Milner tag <laughs> to him but um in a way that you know that just sort of shows his professionalism and the career that he's he's managed to have and not every player um is going to be able to to live like James Milner you know, they will um you know just go down different paths I think it's it's kind of I suppose that's where it's on the managers and those that are built, you know, around the club. There's so many staff now at Premier League clubs, you know, what makes individuals tick? How do you get the best out of them? And, you know, I suppose the old school way is to say that it's very much on the player to you know, kind of do that. Um, but I think more and more now, we, you know, clubs are looking after players and trying to protect them, um, you know, maybe slightly more than what Manchester United have in, in the Sancho um, instance, I, I, I would argue. But 
um, you know, there also has to be a responsibility on the individual to, you know, want to improve. And uh, just getting quickly back to Sancho, I mean, I felt he was at his best at Dortmund. He had such a good relationship, mm. um, whether he's playing on the right or the left, with the full-backs. And at Manchester United, um, he just never, for, for whatever reason, he's just never been able to get that going with Luke Shaw or Wan-Bissaka or Dallow. And um, I don't know if that's on him or the, you know, the, the coach or, or, or a combination of the two. Yeah, well, look, hopefully for his own sake, just given everything that he has been through, um, that he gets a bit of a run of it and you get to see the Sancho that we saw a few years back. Yeah, you'd like to think so. Um, I know you're speaking about James Milner and the appearances. It's a good quiz question. Top 10 Premier League <laughs> yeah, appearance makers. There's some interesting names in there. <laughs> Paul, I know that injury caught your career short, but like obviously been in, in dressing rooms. Can you see the difference? Can you see the guys that are, are going to put the work in, that are are going to make it? Oh yeah, I mean, I, I would have been in a dressing room but it's actually funny, I look back on some of the players and I forget um, Emiliano Martinez, the Argentinian goalkeeper was on loan wow. from Arsenal Sheffield Wednesday and he just had such focus with his career about where he was going to go and yes, he had to take a step back into the championship but he kind of felt like he was destined to go on and do good things Another person, Mikel Antonio, who's in my dressing room by no stretch of imagination you know, probably one of the weakest technically players um, that we had at Sheffield Wednesday at that moment in time had other attributes you know physically very strong very powerful very quick that has carried him along the way but his same sort of focus and determination to constantly get better and he used to kind of come into the dressing room and say I'm going to be in the Premier League in 18 months and people would laugh at him but it's that sort of belief mm -hmm. that you need to have within you speak about James Milner and looking for those small half percentages when you start to compound all those half percentages it makes a hell of a big difference and the ones who are you know, able to put in the hard yards, to put in the extras before and after training, they are the ones who tend to have longevity in their career. And if they hang around long enough and they do well enough, they naturally gravitate up towards the yeah. Premier League and, and the uh, the upper echelons of English football. And of course, I look back at my own career and I have own, my own regrets about potentially not putting the work in. But you're so young at that period in time, maybe you don't realise the opportunities that are in front of you. But, you know, I mentioned their top 10 appearances in the Premier League. You look at the players that are in there, you probably, like Emil Heskey is in seventh. There's somebody who would have, you know, hung around and really yeah. dug in and worked on his game. Mark Schwarzer, Jamie Carragher, Phil Neville. They're not always the most talented. Mm, or the most glamorous. Or yeah. the most glamorous, but they're the ones who are willing to work hardest. Yeah, that's really, really interesting. Uh, now, speaking of people that aren't the most uh, glamorous, let's move on to Wayne Rooney. Um, so Birmingham, we saw yesterday, we discussed the sacking of Wayne Rooney and the fact he got such a short amount of time, such a, a ruthless game um, management. It's it's everything has to happen quick and fast. It didn't for Rooney. Do you think this is the end of Rooney, the manager, Mark? Oh, I, I wouldn't say that. I, I think, um, you know, he'll, because it was such a short period, um, that there's always the, op the opportunity for somebody else to take a chance um, on um, Wayne Rooney. Um, I suspect it would be lowered down or maybe sort of abroad again. But um, yeah, the, the, the name Rooney will carry him a long, long way. Um, you know, I think he's really struggled. Um, you know, Rossini, Liam Rossini was his number two at Derby. And he's doing a very good job on his own um, now at Hull. And I suppose you do wonder whether the work that Rooney did at, at Derby had a lot to do with may, maybe the number two. And I, people said the same about Gerard mm -hmm. when uh, McBeal was yeah. kind of with him. And, um, you know, it, it, he's <clears throat> struggled ever since then. And um, 
Lampard's had his own um, struggles as well. So yeah. that kind of golden generation of England um, really uh, have not been able to make their mark as, as managers. But I mean, because of the name that they are, I certainly wouldn't say it's the end for Wayne Rooney. I always thought it was a dodgy appointment um, for, for Birmingham because, you know, if Wayne Rooney turns out to be a success, the chances were he was always going to, you know, probably leave them um, a, a, as soon as he could. And if he was a failure, then Birmingham were going to go backwards quickly. So um, yeah, it, it it just felt like an appointment that didn't need to be made. I think the owners have quickly learned that, that, that they, they've made a mistake and have done the right thing. You know, I don't think managers should always be sat this early on, but I don't think Rooney was ever going to turn it around at Birmingham. It just shows, and, and you mentioned Gerard there and Lampard, and, and you could probably throw in Gary Neville, Phil Neville as well, that kind of golden generation that, as Roy Hodgson said, like these big stars, they don't have that magic wand, Paul. No, they don't. And I mean, if you go to enter the Premier League, very few of the, the teams within have managers who have glamorous playing careers. Mm-hmm. And Pep Guardiola's maybe one that stands out, or even Arteta. Like Arteta had a decent career, and yes, he, he stood around the Premier League for a while. But yeah, it, do, it doesn't naturally translate. It's a completely different job spec and it was a major risk it was probably one now that Brighton look back on it, or sorry Birmingham look back on and think why did we sack John Eustace because things were going pretty well yeah. they were within a shout of of the playoffs and they weren't too far away and now naturally enough they're looking at kind of how do we avoid relegation but I think from from our perspective we're, we're probably a little worried about Lee Carsley being taken away from potentially that Ireland job Yeah what do you think of that Mark is it likely? Well I mean I mean, Carsley has been linked um, with the job. He's not the only one. Um, actually, Eustace was was uh, rumoured to be mm. one of those. I mean, I don't. I, I, you know, you'd, you'd like to think maybe he'd say no to that. Um, <laughs> so uh, hard Steve to get a job, though. Been, <laughs> yeah, it is. It really is. Um, Steve Cooper. Um, again, I would have thought he would have been maybe aiming a little bit higher than than, than Birmingham, but he's been linked with it. But you can understand why Carsley would be one of those in the, the mix for it. Um, you know, he's, he's obviously done well with the under-21s. Um, I, I think it's an easy one to throw out there, though, um, as well. I mean, I, you know, Jesse Marsh, because of the US um, mm. sort of links, is another one. So I don't think it's sort of a done deal um, for, for Lee Carsey by any stretch of imagination, but he's definitely one that's been um, linked with the job, and you can see why. I don't think he's going to take the Ireland job. On. I just I just don't see it. I, I think his career is in an upper trajectory. That's not to say that Ireland isn't a step in, on that ladder. I just feel that there's going to be too many options. It must be a great time to be Lee Carsley's agent. <laughs> Any job that comes up, <laughs> yeah. he seems to be linked to it. His wage demands are probably going up and up. But I just think like if, if he wants to hang around in, in international management, surely you wait to see what happens with Gareth Southgate after that competition and you know taking the England job is unfortunately a much bigger job than the Irish when you go on and win European Championships or World Cups with that team and if he doesn't want to stay within international management there's going to be a good club he'll take him even potentially someone bigger than Birmingham Okay, um, Paul, stay with us for a few minutes. Mark, we're going to say goodbye to you because I know you have to, to go. Thank you so much for joining us. We'll talk to you again soon. Enjoy the new year. Thank you. Happy New Year. Thanks. As always, looking forward to 2024 and all the football chats that are to come. Um, yeah, it's a it's a really tricky one because when you look at kind of the the, the glamorous appointments, like I know that Gareth Southgate is wasn't the most glamorous at the time, but and, and it has done a really good job. Can you imagine Lee Carsey stepping up to that senior role? I could on the basis of that's how the English FA have done 
a lot of their appointments. I mean, if you look at kind of the system that they put in place, this goes all the way back to when Dan Ashworth went in as director of football. It was all about progression of players and progression of staff through the ranks to then end up in the senior uh, side. So, yeah, I could absolutely see that. I think the fact that he went on and he won that European Championships with the 21s, he's going to take that crop of players if he goes into the senior squad and work with maybe players that he's worked with previously before. I could absolutely see him getting that job. And it worked for Southgate when he went in there. And mm. people will argue Southgate hasn't, you know, won anything but he's done a much better job when you look back on maybe previous England managers and how far they've gone into competitions I could see Carsley getting that and then if you flip that around let's say Carsley was to go to Ireland you look at the squad he has with the England 21s and the style of football that they play, they dominate possession. <laughs> I reckon I possession. could manage them to the Euros now. Well, Myself and yourself, Paul, no that, bother. Well, that's, that's what I mean. Like, it's, it's, it's a completely different ball game when you take a sidestep in, into Ireland whereby you don't have those players to dominate possession. It's a completely different spec. And you might be looking at it and thinking, I could probably have this job in four to six years' time when maybe Ireland are in a bit of a better place. Do I want to take that risk right now? I just don't see it happening. Okay, well, look, we should hopefully anyway find out in the next... Uh, 12 months. Yeah, in the next little while. In the foreseeable future, who's going to... Well, we have the Ireland women's manager now, so uh, the FAI could fully focus on appointing a men's manager and there's definitely a huge amount of interest anyway in who is going to get it. So um, often, although with the women's manager, it didn't leak, but often you start to, to get a bit of a sense of maybe who's in the running mm. um, and that focus might narrow now over the next little I while. think it's going to be Chris Hewton. That, that's my guess. Okay, you're putting that out there now. That's my guess, yeah. Okay. Uh, right, uh, just before we move on from football, Paul, uh, the transfer window is open. I know you're a Chelsea fan. Do you need players? Can you make the players that you have play a bit better? <laughs> yeah, you certainly can. And, and Chelsea are another team who have struggled with a huge amount of injuries and getting the likes of Ben Chilwell and Reese James back is, is going to be very important because they're conceding a lot of goals. Everybody keeps talking about Chelsea needing a number nine and... You know, the fact that they're not scoring enough goals. I think they've only scored two less goals than Arsenal. Okay, well, everyone's saying that Arsenal needs a number well, nine. Yeah, well, yeah, that, that is true as well. But Arsenal are fourth in the table. Chelsea are way down in tenth. I think it's at the back they need bodies. Um, some of the players they've brought in, Dezassi and Buddy Shield, haven't really lived up to it. Still unsure about the whole goalkeeper situation. So that's where I'd start. And uh, you mentioned about getting more out of the players that they've signed. Absolutely. There's a number of players who they've brought in who there's still question marks about likes of Enzo Fernandez, Mudrick, uh, Madueke and and Co. Um so yeah, I'd be hoping for a bit of an upturn in Chelsea's fortunes, but I don't see them getting anywhere near the top four. Yeah, and it's uh Afcon and Asian Cup time as well. Man City haven't got a single player heading to either tournament. Lots of other teams are gonna be missing big players. I was actually looking at Pep Guardiola's team at Bayern Munich as well. I don't recall him working with too many African players outside of maybe Samuel Leto and one or two. I think Keita, who was at Barcelona, was also of um, African descent, but I don't remember him working with too many African players. And it wouldn't surprise me if it was because of the Strategic. African combinations. Because yeah. it's, I mean, that throws Liverpool off massively. Like, yeah. if you look at Nunes, Jota, Diaz, none of them look as fluid or as confident in front of goal at this moment in time. Whereas Salah kind of goes under the radar. He's top goal scorer in the Premier mm -hmm. League. It's incredible the goals and and the contributions that he have. Even and the, the consistency, ball, the and, ball that he put yeah. in for um, whose goal was it the other night outside of the foot? It was absolutely unbelievable, um, and that's that's a huge loss, particularly if Egypt go deep into that mm. competition. That could have a bit of a dent in Liverpool's chances over the next couple of weeks. Liverpool fans will be shouting against. Uh, 
are against uh, or for every team that Egypt <laughs> are playing for playing that's for sure uh, Paul thank you so much um, hopefully we will have a couple of minutes at the end to go through all of the League of Ireland transfers as well um, any news rumours before the new season starts we're going to take a very quick break but we're going to be heading to Breffney Park very shortly uh, the Dr McKenna Cup will be on this evening lots of big teams in action we're going to see what Jim McGuinness brings to the table and also Mickey Hart's dairy. Game on on 2FM Now welcome back we are turning our attention to Gaelic Games uh, specifically to the Dr McKenna Cup there is great action in store tonight well we hope it'll be great action anyway we're joined now by Andy Waters the sports reporter with the Irish News and you are in Breffney Park for Cavan versus Derry for Mickey Hart's Derry uh, no doubt what's the crowds like is it too early probably is well, the um, the cars are streaming in as we speak, and um, there's a sort of a decent crowd building up, you know. So um, everybody's out, as you said, to see Mickey Mickey's debut, and obviously uh, Raymond Galligan's first yeah. game is in charge of Cavan as well. So uh, there's always something to talk about. When <laughs> Absolutely, there all there always is, and for some reason, whatever it is about this time of year, people love the preseason competitions and getting out. Is probably the fact that we've been sitting in for weeks watching the darts that we need a bit of fresh air and get out and about. But it definitely has added interest this year, Andy. And Mickey Hart has handed out five debuts for his game in charge of Derry. What are you expecting from from Derry this year? And we will get to Cavan, of course, too. Yeah, well, Mickey. Yeah, as you say, he always has the he has handed out the five debuts, but he always takes the the McKenna Cup seriously. Um, when he, you know during his time with Tyrone, um, he had a he did a six in a row with them. You know, at one stage. So although he's got the five the new new faces in, and obviously he's without the 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 Glen players who are playing Kilmacud at the weekend. Um, there are like you know it is backbone by um, a lot of serious players. You know. And you know operators like mm-hmm. he, anyway, and he has um, he has uh, um, Christy McKeag, uh, Brent Rogers, and Shane McGuigan on the bench, and a, you know a fairly experienced lineup as well. So um, uh, as usual, Mickey wants to start the ball run. He'll he'll want to get through the group, progress to the semi final. You know, win it obviously, and then he'll see that as a you know as a nice way, a nice smooth passage into the into Division One. Derry are back up there this year. And, you know, they've got a difficult start, you know, going to Tralee to play Kerry. And then, of course, uh, Tyrone are coming to Celtic Park. So that's going to be a massive one. Like Absolutely. And, and look, it's what you want. You want these narratives, the stories, you want the drama, you want the excitement. Um, but you also want to go and win. And, and, and look, Derry have came so close. They're a team that have emerged over the last few years has been real contenders for the Sam Maguire. And, and look, that's what people want. But they have had always, I guess, a very identifiable style of play with Derry. Um, over the last few years, you always knew what you were going to get when you watched them play. Do you think that Mickey Hart's going to make much changes to the way that Derry set up? Possibly you will, you know, but uh, you mean if it's not broke, don't fix it as well. You know, I mean, they, they did come, you know, very close last last year, getting the All Ireland semi final. I mean, you think about, you know, the turmoil in the county before the Ulster final against Armagh, you know, and and Kieran Mina was was sort of quickly drafted, you know, or pushed up from being the coach to managing the team, you know, and, and then you, you're sort of thinking, right, we came close last year, having built on a good 2022 as well. Who could we get in to bring us, you know, the next step? Well, then there's a man, you know, from down the road who's won three All-Irelands, obviously showed he's still got the hunger, you know, as as manager of Lowe's, you know, taking them to Division 2, taking them to the Lancer final. So, you know, on paper, you know, it, 
it, it's a very, it, it does seem like a very good decision bringing in Mickey with all that experience. You know, obviously, it's a big challenge for Mickey because, the, you know, they're a team that he's expected to bring, you know, just give them that final push, mm-hmm. which, you know, obviously has its own challenges, as I say. So, um, you know, we'll, we'll see what he does. But, um, you know, obviously, you know, he said he was at, he was at the McKenna Cup launch and I saw him there in his, in his dirty gear and he sort of had a take, a, you know, a, a double take when you saw him. But, you know, he, <laughs> you know, he, he was in good form, obviously very passionate. This is what he loves to do. And, you know, he'll be giving it like you know, 100%, no doubt about it. Like, yeah, and look, it's his third county now, 22 consecutive seasons. He will be giving it 100%, but so will Raymond Galligan because this is a huge opportunity for him as well. I mean, he's obviously not anywhere near as, as experienced. Um, it's the first really big job for, for Galligan and he's an opportunity now to, to arrive almost tonight. Yeah, without a doubt. And, and you know, beating, beating Derry would be, a, would be a lovely start for him. Um, yeah, like... Calvin always thought, you know, they had a lot of potential. They did get an Ulster title under under Mickey Graham, um, but sort of blew a wee bit hot and cold. Obviously, Raymond was was he was he was part of that. He was in there. He'll know what you know what makes them tick. Yeah, you know, he'll know that obviously the, the who's there in the county. You know how he who he can bring in, what improvements he can make. You know, and and again, like he's named a you know quite an experienced team tonight um, and again there's, I think there's five debuts um, looking forward to getting a look at Emmanuel Sheehu, his younger brother Joshua was playing for Calvin Gales there in the St Paul's tournament, minor tournament and he looked like a real prospect so you know there's no ever any shortage of like talented lads in, in Calvin and if Raymond can get the best out of them well you know who knows? I'm also excited to see what kind of a crowd's going to turn up in Bally Buffet as well for uh, Donegal and Armagh and of course Jim McGuinness will be there back at the helm again and we were just uh, over the last few weeks we've been speaking about Donegal and what Jim McGuinness can bring and, and, and I guess the the football the soccer influences that he can transfer to, to Gaelic football are, are you expecting anything radical from Jim McGuinness? Well, I, I'm expecting them to come up with something. Um, yeah. You know, I'm, I'm probably not qualified to, to know what it would be. You know, <laughs> but I mean, you, you would expect him. Obviously, you I mean he, he's a, he, you know, he, he follows the game so closely. You know, he's a, he's a, he's he's a, you know he's a, the supreme tech, tactician, isn't he? And then as well as that, you know, he's so revered and respected, yeah. like in in the county. You know, everybody will get behind him. And w- from what you hear people saying, like he, you know, he leaves no stone unturned. He's he just seems to put so much into it, like, and you know, get the best out of players with with man management, and and uh, you know, again, like sort of like what I was saying about Calvin, you know, that untapped potential. I mean, over the over the last few years, Donegal, you know, did sort of flutter to deceive a bit. Like, um, I thought there was more in them, you know, under Declan Bonner, mm-hmm. and then last year, obviously, um, really sort of the wheels fell off a bit, you know, with Paddy Carr resigning. And then you know we had Nora coming in and doing his best, and and even 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 in no circumstances they did show something towards the end of the championship, you know, you know, sort of glimpses of what they are capable of. So, um, uh, Mickey sort of getting them, sort of taking them from the bottom up, or sorry, Jim's taking them from the bottom up, you know, uh, sort of in contrast to Mickey Hart. So maybe that'll suit him. You know, obviously all eyes are going to be on him. So 
Um, but um, you know, if anyone can, Jim can. Like, <laughs> well, yeah, well said, Andy. I think you need a lot of boys to keep it <laughs> to keep across all of the action that uh, is taking place tonight in the Dr. McKenna Cup. We will be reflecting on it tomorrow because no doubt there will be drama. Andy, thank you so much for joining us. Enjoy the game, and uh, no doubt we'll be talking to you again soon. My pleasure, Marie. <laughs> Thanks. Talk to you soon. Uh, Paul, just before we finish up, uh, let's have a quick chat about the League of Ireland because we were talking about transfers and, of course, uh, the season for the League of Ireland is going to come around really quickly and already we're getting a little bit of action on the transfer front. Yeah, we are. And I'm just looking at uh, St. Patrick's Athletic social media here talking about Adam Murphy has signed for Bristol City. So, unfortunately for Pats, no... <laughs> I was hoping you'd be talking about transfers coming in, but we're oh, talking transfers about... transfers <laughs> coming in. Yeah, Let's go with the transfers going out, yeah. <laughs> yeah, look great for him, but that's a big loss for Pats. It is, and uh, you would imagine they're going to lose Sam Curtis as well, who had yeah. a fantastic season. But, I mean, that's testament to the work that Pats do in the academy, and they... they yeah. feed opportunities to players young Mason Media played in the mm-hmm. FAI Cup final yeah and at I was looking at a, a DDSL picture the other day and I saw um, I think it was 2011 kids and Cole Curtis so there's more coming up through that academy as well yeah absolutely and it says here um, that they will get international training compensation fee and actually I trained Adam for a couple of years so I'm just wondering <laughs> what my cut will be <laughs> yeah what's in the fine print there for you <laughs> I had him at Belvo and uh, listen, how good is he, he he's brilliant uh, he really is he's up there he was the same age group as Sam Curtis and Kevin Zeffian the three of them were mm. probably by far and away the, the most talented of the bunch he's had difficulties with injuries and that would be I guess the concern that you would have for Adam that hopefully he stays injury free because if, if he does he'll kick on he'll do very well in that environment um, they have a really good setup at Bristol great manager mm-hmm. Lee Manning's come in from Oxford previously MK Dons so uh, yeah fingers crossed for him um, probably gone the wrong direction there with your with your question have I? Yeah anyone, coming, anyone in. coming in? Well Dara Burns going to Shamrock Rovers <laughs> that's somebody who we've seen previously before at St. Pat's hasn't worked out for him at MK Dons which I was quite surprised about because I thought he was one when he went with Dawson Devoy who could potentially kick on but he's come back to a really good environment um, you know Shamrock Rovers on so much of the ball such a great attacking threat he will fit right into that system Okay, and just uh, one other one as well. Anya Gorman has signed on with the Shamrock Rovers women's team for another year as well. I'd imagine she's going to go into coaching at some stage. But as you know, Paul... Play for it, is. Yeah, play for as long as you can. Yeah, absolutely. That's the way to do it. Um, okay, that's all we have time for this evening. Paul Carey, thank you so much for coming in. Um, I'll be back tomorrow. We'll be, we've lots to reflect on. Isn't it great? It's the first week in January. We can look back on the Gaelic football. There's the, the darts final as well. And we'll have plenty more. The FA Cup... Is the FA Cup on as well? Yep. Jeez, loads happening. Um, right, Betty De Silva is up next.